you want to get in on the action, we want to hear from you. Email us at faderoutemail at gmail.com with your questions, comments, picks, segment suggestions, you name it. We want to hear from you. We're on Instagram too. Slide in our DMs at Fade Route Podcast. Get at us. Welcome to the Fade Route with D and Z. Here are your hosts, D and Z. Of a fade route with DNG, IMG, and we got a great show planned for you. We're talking Stanley Cup finals, we're talking the Warriors shopping James Wiseman, and we're ordering up the best NFL QB and coaching converse, uh, combinations. But we're starting off with some baseball news and notes around the diamond. Yes, you heard DJ Khaled at the beginning of our open. We had another one. We had another one. The Chicago Cubs, no hit for Los Angeles Dodgers, four zip. It was a combined no hitter. You had Zach Davies going the first six of the no hit innings, followed by Ryan DePera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell. The first combined no-hitter in franchise history. So congratulations to the Chicago Cubs. And you are getting one closer to your targeted goal. We have seven so far. Eight in Bumgarner, but because Rob Manfred is so gutless, he is not. Still not acknowledging that that was the case. Over to the National League East, and the Washington Nationals are equatorially hot right now. 15-5 and five in their last 20 games. Kyle Schwarber's tearing the cover off the ball. 25 home runs. Trey Turner hit the cycle on his birthday. And... This team could definitely make some noise in the National League, not just the National League East. The Mets are proving that they're coming back to the pack a little bit now that they're playing more games. So hopefully this will be a contentious summer brawl. And speaking of summer, specifically the Midsummer Classic, Shohei Otani tearing over off the ball, leading the majors in home runs with 28 has committed to the home run derby in Colorado in the next couple of weeks. And if I'm Joe Madden, Trout is out. Rendon just got back. Otani's the only attractive at the only good starting pitcher you have, the best hitter you have. 
I don't know how I feel about Otani in the home run derby. And frankly, you got to be a little concerned with his performance on the mound, too, because he was facing the Yankees today and he didn't make it of the first inning. Only retiring two hitters, but surrendering four. So we'll see where this goes, but. You are still in this thing. You're only three games under 500. So if you're the Angels, maybe you just need to have a sit down and say, you might want to just take it easy with the All-Star game there, buddy. Or maybe just start him on the Sunday before. And here he is. I'm Sky Shoes on Carousel Shoes. Flight crew through and through the last QB in St. John's history. What's up, D? How's it going, man? Hey, man, you can't hold down Otani. You gotta let him play. He's the Babe He's the Ruth peacock? of our time. He's a peacock. You gotta let him fly. <laughs> no, I mean I, I'm always I'm always skeptical about home run derbies, but he's such a talent. Could you imagine if he goes into this home run derby and wins it? I mean that would be outstanding. You can't deny him that opportunity. I mean most players do the derby. Most good hitters do the derby at least once. Um, I don't think Madden really has a say in this. The Angel seasons is going down, down, down. Like you said, Otani was shelled by the Yankees today. But if he wants to play in the home run derby, have at it, Hoss. If you're Kevin Cash, because you're running the show, and we're going to get to that later, but if you're Kevin Cash... If you have the opportunity to start Otani in the All-Star game after his competition in the Home Run Derby, are you doing it? Are you tantalized by that? I would I would talk that I would have to talk to Joe Madden about. That I would make sure he's okay with it before I even talk to Otani about it. And I'm sure he would want to do it. And he's only going to go an inning or two. I'd actually leave it up to him what he wants to do. But you're talking about history. I mean, I... I keep kicking myself because two years ago I had a chance to get his rookie card and I bailed on it. And it was at a super low price. And even his ball, I had a chance to get his ball for about $400. And I, I, and I should have. And I didn't. And I'm kicking myself now because he got hurt. And I thought, okay, that's it. It's not going to work out. But, man, he's a big dude, Tell I saw him recently. He's a big guy. I, I, he doesn't look like a pitcher. He looks like a major league hitter. Uh, he's a man. He's definitely built like a man. He's going up against some men as of right now in the competition. Only half of the brackets filled out in the home run derby. So you have Pete Alonzo of the Mets, Trevor Story of the hometown Rockies. You have Otani. Yep. He can definitely make some, some noise in this. But I would actually want Kyle Schwarber to be in this thing. But as of right now, he is not... He's not in it. Vladdy Jr. is not in it. I would definitely keep him in this thing. So, if you are Rob Manfred, but you're not, you're not a clueless puck, but if you were Rob Manfred, who would you fill out the rest of the home run derby bracket with and draw eyeballs to your TV? Can we talk about the All-Star Game hats for a minute, though? They are fantastic. Have you seen them? They're all black with the team logo on the front in red. So whether you're from the Dodgers, the Yankees, or Boston. And then behind the behind the, the uh, logo in red is a purple 
star. And then on the right side of the hat is the all-star game ASG Major League Baseball sign with a with a, a purple star behind it. Outstanding hat. My goodness, it's a beautiful, beautiful hat. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm advertising for Major League Baseball right now because I think it's fantastic. I'm that a is a really nice myself. hat. It's, You're it's right. a beautiful, a beautiful hat, regardless of what team you support. I mean, they're not going to last long, but they are really, they're treasures. Uh, so the back to your question. The jerseys, though, are freaking awful. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of shit the bed on the jersey, but. I do like the idea of them having an actual all-star game jersey. Um, I don't like it when they just wear their team uniform. I don't like that. I want to see an all-star game jersey. I used to like when the NBA used to do it too. Like yeah. actually have like actually have uh, the jerseys. But man, what a beautiful hat. If you got a chance to check that out and pick one up before they all sell out, man, get, get in it. So you're asking me about if I'm Rob Manford and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't taken myself out, <laughs> who, who would I, who would I like to see, or who could I coerce into playing in the home run derby? Is that the question? That's the question. Well, is a is Acuna in it? Is Acuna in it? Uh, not as of right now. I don't yeah. believe so. Yeah. So I mean, I I try to get him in it. I mean, there. He, he's probably, what, top three, top four uh, player right now in Major League Baseball. Um, Betts isn't a home run hitter, but I want my stars to be in it. You know, I need I, I need my stars. Uh, is Castellanos in it? Because he's another guy that's having a great year. He's batting 342. If I can get him in that thing, that would be that would be great. Uh, we already know Fernando isn't in it yet, but uh, you get the immortal Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> of course I do. Uh, and uh, I'd like to get Devers in it. Devers is Devers is right behind Vlad in home runs. I mean, if you if Vlad's not going to be in it, but Otani's going to be in it, I'd like to see if I can get Devers in it because that would bring that would be bring some good PR. Yeah, those are all great choices. I would even throw Matt Olson, a little sleeper hit from the Oakland A's. Like he's he probably could win it. He's he got that. Could. He's got that swing. He's got that good swing for it. Absolutely, and he's like sneaky. He's tied for ninth in the majors in home runs. Like you wouldn't necessarily think Matt Olson. No. But hey, you know what? Good for you, man. Get in there and do some damage. I mean, Bob has won a home run derby, right? Cespedes has won a home run derby. Tino Martinez has run a home won a home run derby. Get in and you know. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take it doesn't take a ton of talent, but you can do it in style like Griffey did and Harper did. You know, uh, there's way there's ways to go about it. Sure. Okay. Better story though. Otani winning the home run derby or Trey Mantini coming back from cancer to win a home run run, win the home run derby. Oh, it's uh, it's Otani. I hate to say that to Trey Mancini, but it's Otani. We are talking about Babe Ruth. We have a Babe Ruth coming into back into baseball. How could you not? You know, that's the story. He's the story. Trey Mancini. Yeah, I'm happy for the guy, and I hope that it's so well for him. But man, it's Otani all the way. I mean, it's close for me. I mean, I mean. It's definitely close. It's, it's totally feel good story. If either one of them wins, 
that's fine. Uh, even Pete Alonso would be a back-to-back home run winner because there was no home run derby last year. So, you know, that, you know those are all three great stories. And then the hometown guy, Trevor Story. So, like, they have compelling storylines for this home run derby this year. But I think we're glossing over a little bit the compelling story that was the Cubs combined no-hitter. And it actually has a couple of people questioning whether or not a combined no-hitter should be a no-hitter, and that's bullshit. A no-hitter and a no-hitter is a no-hitter, and I don't want to hear if it's multiple hitters, if it's seven innings, if it's more than nine innings. No-hitter is a no-hitter is a no-hitter. And recognize, recognize Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> yeah, uh, combined no-hitters count, but if I change the innings to seven and the guy pitches no-hitter, that doesn't count. No, there were, you know, there was an argument saying that, you know, it's, it's easier to throw a combined no-hitter. And I think that's totally false. I think that's incredibly hard. You're relying on multiple people to keep this thing going. I mean, if, if I've got, if I'm the starting pitcher, like, let's say um, I'm Roger Clemens, I'm Randy Johnson, um, I'm Otani, I'm Lance Lynn, and I'm dealing, I can just keep dealing. But for me to come out, for another guy to come in, and still be lights out and to do that like three or four pitchers that is super impressive and i think that's super hard uh, funny you mentioned roger clemens because i immediately thought of the astros combined no hitter against the yankees roy oswald couldn't finish the second he got hurt so pete monroe octavio dotel billy wagner they ran six guys out of the bullpen against a mid-2000 yankee lineup which is nothing to sneeze at and you know they got the job done too so it's not easy it's definitely not easy to to do that because you have to pick the next guy up oh it was great it was my background on my computer throughout my whole college career that that no hitter (laughs) and yankee stadium it that is that is that is not easy and it was the old yankee stadium that might have been the last no hitter pitched in yankee stadium do you know that uh, yep. Pretty sure that's spot on. I'm pretty, that I'm pretty sure might have right been the that. last one to do it. It's time for the fade-in where we give a nod to the trending sports stories of the week. But, I mean, what's really the headline this week is Hector Santiago becomes the first victim of Rob Manfred's banned substance policy over under five more suspensions ejections on the year for mr manfred and his banned his substance banned policy this is going to be very interesting because of the first test case that is hector santiago according to santiago he had only put rosin on his on his arm and his glove the umpire saw him do it did not issue a warning Hey, man, you're putting too much of that shit on. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. They let him finish. They let him... He went, got his check. They saw something they didn't like. Austin confiscated the glove. And now, this is going to be a big issue in terms of the... Well, just one more big issue between Tony Clark and Rob Manfred because they're taking... They're not further investigating the materials that are skating. They're taking the umpire's word for it, and they are spending pitchers for 10 games 
without pay, or no, 10 games with pay, excuse me, but you're not allowed to replace them on the roster. So you are essentially right. playing 24 on 25 or 25 on 26 for the 10 for days that he's for two weeks. Yeah. So that puts the team, in this case the Mariners, at a huge competitive disadvantage because you're playing shorthanded. And this is definitely going to be something that is going to be litigated. I can see Tony Clark trying to uh, have an injunction put in against this this application of the rule because it is a little shady. Like, oh, Joe West saw this. I would take Joe West in his word. You know, he's good. Uh, Angel Hernandez. Angel Hernandez. Come on. You know, he's a, he's a gem. C.B. Buckner. C.B. Buckner as a prince. Would he lie to you? Like, I don't know. As far as the over-under, I'm going to go under because I think this is going to get litigated. And it's not, and the, the rule is not going to be, it's not going to be enforced as much by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Santiago admitted to using the rosin. He didn't, he didn't lie about it. You know, it's and, and appar- apparently it, it was on his glove which apparently is against the rules, which is, I didn't even know this. You're not supposed to put it on your glove. I didn't know this. Uh, and like you said, they let him finish. He's coming off the field in the fifth inning, 3-2, and they, they you know, the they won the game, 3-2. Uh, he was coming out of the game, and they kind of busted him for it. I'm going to surprise you. I'm actually going to say the same thing. I think it's going to be under. I think, I think maybe two more guys get clipped for this. But I'm looking forward to the appeal process. I want to see what comes out of it. Like you said, it's at the umpire's discretion, which I think is unfair. We're going to get into this, but I think it's unfair for the umpires to have to, to look at this and try to figure this out. Um, and uh, this, he, he hats off to Hector Santiago because he didn't, he didn't, you know, complain too much. He, he even admitted it. He's like, yeah, I used rosin. It's at the back of the. <laughs> the mouth, like yeah, I've used it, uh, but you're not supposed to put it on your glove. It was a sticky, sticky substance in his glove, and and this is what we're talking about in Major League Baseball right now. No, absolutely, and and who knows? You know, it's a sunny day out. Maybe he has sunscreen on. Maybe it has some kind of you know, just sun. It's not malicious. I don't want to get skin cancer. Like that. That's it. Like and that combination. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's just, you have a very logical defense there. I have it on me. I don't want to get skin cancer. I put it on my arm where there's rosin. And then, Rob, you know, I, <laughs> Rob Manfred's got nothing against melanoma, I'll tell you that. Rob Manfred's <laughs> cancer. That's terrible. But, you know, just all jokes aside. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's the application of the rule and the permutations, there have been four different permutations and interpretations of the rule. This is going to be a problem. I don't agree with Trevor Bauer often, but I agree with his statement that there needs to be a uniform understanding of how to interpret the rule, how to apply the rule. Otherwise, what's the problem? Yeah, and that kind of leads us into our next segment. I thought uh, Trevor Bauer had a great segment on Sunday Night Baseball. They interviewed him while the game was going on and they kind of asked him his opinion on the rule, how pitchers are using it to, how pitchers are using sticky substance to their advantage 
and what the results could be. And he was really great. I mean, during the interview in the dugout, he explained how how pitchers kind of use it to grip it better so they can get better spin on the ball, more more advantage on the baseball. But he also, he also offered up insight on a better way for Major League Baseball to approach the situation by having a third party inspect the pitcher as he comes off the field and in the dugout rather than have him inspected out on the field by umpires. I thought this was great because instead of him being on the field out for everyone to see on display in front of fans in front of coaches in front of the opposing team it's not me it's it's right now it's a spectacle all the umpires come over they're all looking at it they're picking the pitcher apart pitchers pulling down his pants taking off his hat un- undressing his jersey how about we wait till this guy gets in the dugout we have a third party come over look at the glove look at the pitcher in his dugout and if there's something wrong there you take whatever you have to do to send it to New York or file a report, make a swab, and he's out of the game anyway. So forget about so forget about ejecting him. You could you could talk about his suspension the next day. I really thought this was great insight from Trevor Bauer. I love the idea. It it, it reminds me of like you know during 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 the steroid era, not during the steroid era, but after the steroid era, uh, we had random drug testing. It wasn't like Barry Bonds hit a home run and then somebody came and, you know, as soon as he crossed home plate, hey, Barry, piss into this cup in front of everybody. <laughs> let me let me take this into the back and see if you tested positive for steroids and then you're going to be ejected from the game. But really, it's the same thing. Let, let's, pay, let's pay pitchers the same common courtesy. Let's be discreet about it. You can say on the broadcast, hey, he came off the field and he's being inspected for foreign substances or he was inspected nothing was found he's coming out for another inning like let's do it like that instead of you know having him checked multiple times or uh making it so making it a spectacle for everyone to look at like let's respect the game and let's respect the process well the process has is speaks to the absurdity of where base is right now and the length the pitchers need to go to not only secure their grip but yes your grip is it? Guys, are going harder. They're going wilder than ever before. So you need to have as much grip on that ball as possible. But are you going to take advantage of it? As you're going to take advantage of it, because at the end of the day, trying to ahead of the offenses that are, you know, utilizing launch angles and trying to, you know put the ball in the ballpark every single opportunity. They're, you know, the 2005 White Sox don't exist anymore. The bunting is rare. The hit and runs are few and far between. So you're going to have to do what you have to do to keep the ball in the ballpark. I get that. It's absurd on both sides. Yeah, and then similar to what we spoke about last week, you know, Trevor Bauer even said, he's like, you know, Major League Baseball should come up with something uniform for us all to use. You know, because everybody's trying to use something different to not not gain an advantage, but just grip the baseball the way they need to grip the baseball. And he even acknowledged whether it's too dry outside or too slick, your hands are wet, you know, or your hands are too dry. You know, you, you just depending on what you want to throw and depending on what you want to do, 
you need some you need a little help and the rosin doesn't always work for everybody the rosin does different things for everybody and uh you know i, I really i really thought he was on to something yeah, trevor bauer is definitely a craftsman he understands what he's doing on the map he understands science behind it it's not just you know bullshit. it's not speculation like the whole p alonzo thing where they mess with the ball depending on who's a free agent you know like a tinfoil hat type deal you can tell that trevor bauer has definitely done his homework he doesn't so, hang out with pete alonzo yeah yeah well <laughs> you know, it's those university of florida guys man sometimes you know they, they skip sometimes they skip class to kind of go chill you know but credit all credit to trevor bauer for being intellectual about this interest to actually put together a cogent argument as to why these things are happening and provide solutions. Because right now you're not getting solutions, you're just getting punishment. You know, it, you know for those of you that don't know, like I, I'm a teacher, so like the, uh, during the school year, we have what's called restorative justice plan. And that is to avoid just a purely punitive response. And I think, that all boils down to getting in a room. This would be the most restorative plan. Getting in a room and figuring out a that works for everybody and that is uniform. Whether that's you know just a rosin, even though we've seen the rosin doesn't work for everybody. Maybe it's some percentage of bullfrog or some percentage of sunscreen, something of that nature. Because if you look at what Derek Cole is a perfect example. Derek Cole, he spikes his slider so much that it almost looks like it sticks to his pants. But it just, it, the ball moves so much that it's so unnatural that it's noticeable. When he, so when he stopped using whatever he was using, and we all know he was using because of that zoom freeze moment, he was trying to respond and just figured if I stand for still, maybe they'll think I froze and I can skip the question. But, he just, his spin rate has been, it's been worse, and he got shelled by the red shots. So, you definitely need to come up with something here to make it playing field, and just kind of take it from there. Yeah, and continuing to pick on baseball, uh, Dodgers and Rays staffs to coach the All-Star game since both teams were in the World Series last year. There was no All-Star game last year, so the Astros and Nationals coaches, guess they're going to miss out on getting to coach in the All-Star game. I know it doesn't count anymore, but, I mean, is this fair? What are your thoughts on this? It's not fair, but at the same time, it kind of is what it is. It's a product of the pandemic and the situation. And frankly... Uh, Dusty Baker doesn't deserve the hooting and hollering that he was going to get because it's by proxy. In, in reality, AJ Hinch probably would have been managed if that's the case because he's the manager of that team. And he's managing the Tigers now. So if, if we want to really do that, if we want to really maintain the integrity of that kind of rule or custom, and it's, it's a, it becomes kind of a shit show. So I can see why we just kind of skip that one. Maybe Martinez kind of gets the shit end of the stick. But, you know, maybe just name them the bench coach and uh, just 
go from there, you know? I mean, maybe, maybe that's a, a gesture, an olive branch that you do in order to maintain that kind of continuity. But I'm fine with it. it it's one of those things that it's nice to see, especially if it's your team's manager. I mean, it, it, it's just a, it's a custom, it's a gesture, and I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I know it doesn't count anymore, but baseball is one of the few all-star games where the players take it seriously. I do believe that they're trying to win the game or they're trying to get a hit or they're trying to strike everybody out and showcase their talent against the best stars in the game. You know, it's it's not really like basketball and football where in football nobody wants to go and you kind of just go. Uh, a trip to Hawaii. They turned. They used right. to turn that trip to Hawaii. Come on. Tom Tom Brady's made the Pro Bowl like every year since the last like what the last five years. He never goes. My shoulder messed uh, up, man. Right. And then with basketball, it's it's become the same thing where they don't really want to play and they don't really want to go. And when they do go, they don't play hard. It's a joke. Right. But I, I think it's an honor and a privilege to coach this event. And like I said, like always, it just seems to me like baseball just missed the boat on this. And I get it. AJ Hinch probably would be a great idea, even though I think it would be hilarious if they did it. But, I mean, I feel bad for Davey Martinez. I mean, he deserved, he, he hit him and his staff earned the right to coach in the All-Star game. And I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if you just, if you do the Astro staff and the Astro staff, or maybe you mix it up because of what happened last year. So maybe you take some of the guys, figure out, you know, who really want who really wants to go and, you know, let everybody take a turn. If the dugout's big enough, like like let 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 it be let it be a special event. Um, cuz then you're going to have Joey Cora from the Red Sox. You're going to have, you know, like you said, you're going to have the hitch from Detroit like it, it, it would it would be interesting and and bring in Dusty Baker too. Regardless, listen, you're the you're the guys that let this this stand. You're the guys that let this World Series happen. So, you know, own up to it. Uh, mix it up. Everyone gets to share. But skipping over the 2019 World Series like it didn't happen is not, in my opinion, just not the way to go. I say Rob Manfred versus Bud Selig. <laughs> just go with it. Or Rob Arm- Manfred told. Rob, uh, Rob Manford, Tony Clark, arm wrestling contest, no shirt on, uh, in the middle of the field. Steel cage, hell in the <laughs> cell. <laughs> that would be epic. Speaking of epic, you have the Stanley Cup finals taking place between Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens. Makes no sense because they're two Eastern Conference teams, but hey, you throw out all of the geographical logic. We're just lucky we have a Canadian team playing in the championship, and they can come to America and go home. Exactly. Now, that being said, Tampa Bay blew the doors off them 5-1 in Game 1, and they got their old selves again after they beat up on the Islanders at the, you know, at the end of their series, they won one nothing on a shorthanded goal on board, and it really looked like they turned it on. And you know a team is good when it could just flip a switch like that and just steamroll a team as good as the Islanders. But question here is, how many games will the Canadians get, if at all? And what are the keys for a Tampa Bay repeat? 
Yeah, uh, you know, before diving into this, I mean, really, hats off to the Islanders. It was a really good series. I mean, to go down to Tampa in Game 7 and only lose one nothing on a goal that I believe was scored in the second period mm-hmm. against the defending champs, man, hats off. It, it was a really, really good series. Uh, it was better than I. Uh, it was better than I thought it was going to be, and I had high expectations for it. Um, but now to talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Canadians seemed a little. They seemed like they had some stage fright. Uh, looked like the stage was too big for them. Lightning looked better coached. They looked more aggressive. They looked more talented. Kucherov is a beast. If the Canadians are going to have any chance, they need to beat the Lightning to the puck. They need to play smart hockey. You know, you got to stay out of the penalty box, and you got to you got to you got to stop turning turning the puck over in your own zone. Um, from the way they played in the last night, uh, the Canadians are they they look like they're gonna they look like they they might win one game, maybe lose the series four one. But hey, I've been wrong about this before. I thought they were going to get shellacked by the Knights, and they winded up winning that series in six games. So maybe they have, then maybe they'll find a way to turn things up in the next two games. I love the subtle bit of shade that Eddie Olchek threw at the Golden Knights, by the way, when they were saying that they that they were perhaps unwilling. They were unwilling to, you know, have those goals with you know rough and tumble guys in front of the net in front of those bats so interesting little bit of shade there so maybe that's all something that Vegas needs to clean up but as far as the Canadians go they need to look at what the others did and try to replicate it they have significant talent to where they can score they have guys you see them off-field. You have Toffoli with Roland. You have Kokanyemi. You have, you know, Yuki. You have players. You have Josh Anderson. You have guys. Shea Weber from the point. You need to go in, establish a forecheck. You need to hit these guys. You need to be physical with the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's the only way you're going to disengage them from the puck. You cannot outskill them. It is not going to work. I feel like we had the same conversation last year with the Dallas Stars. You can't outskill these guys. You're going to have to rough them up a little bit. You need to activate your defense. You need to get everybody involved. Terry Price is probably going to steal you a game or two. I'm going to say that it's going to be the Lightning and Six. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I don't know if they can really replicate what the Islanders did because the Islanders had number one, they had a better coach, and I think they had more skilled players. And the Canadians need to. I, I agree with I agree with what you're saying. They need to be physical with them for sure because the Lightning seemed to do whatever they wanted, and anytime they got hit, they hit back harder. I mean, a couple guys left the ice last night with blood all over their faces. Like these guys are not messing around. If you're gonna beat them, you gotta play smart hockey. Um, you can't. You're not gonna get into these things where you're gonna outscore them. You know, no. and I and I mean that in the sense of, of course, you have to outscore them to win, but you're not going to win a 5-4 game or a 4-3 game or a 4-2 game. These need to be low-scoring games. It's got to be boring. You got to make it boring. 
waste we waste time in your zone. Get the puck in your zone, pass it around, and and attack. You got to really take advantage of your your power plays. The other um, thing you really can, the other thing you really need to do is muck up the neutral zone. You cannot allow them free access into your zone. You can't allow them to set up. You can't allow them time to be creative. And you get need- on Kucherov, man. You gotta watch this guy. He's just ridiculous. He can score like at will. He seems so rested because he didn't really play in the season. <laughs> well, that was that's contention too because. A lot of fans in the know are complaining about the Lightning's use of the long-term IR, and they are now $17 million over the salary cap because they activated Kucherov for the playoffs. That just sounds like I'm sorry. Long-term IR is a part of the game, and it kind of, it is what it, if it was your team, you wouldn't be bitching. Right, right. But um, and like you said, it yeah, to me it's going to really come down to coaching too. They have to make the right adjustments, or they're gonna find this series is over before you even get so true. If you believe, it's unbelievable that Dominic Ducharme isn't even coaching. He's missed the last five games due to coaching protocols. So Luke Richardson is coaching, and he was able to take the reins and really get them into this series. So coaching, as you know, is critical and. When it's in a top assistant in the biggest moment of the year, that's crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know, moving from coaching in hockey to coaching in the NBA, we have a couple of teams that have new coaches: Mavs, Blazers, and Pacers. All have new coaches. Carlisle to the Bla- uh, the Pacers. We got Billups to the Blazers, and Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd, the Revolution to the Mavericks. Uh, which team will have better success next year with their new coach? It's a fantastic question, and I usually I usually ask fantastic questions. It's, you it's, do. It's, it's, a, it's a it's a gift I have. It's just a gift. It's amazing. You know, it, it's one of those things. It's like you pull out a gem. It's like tap it out of the hat. You oh, just can't fantastic. teach it. It's just it's 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 born. I wish I could teach it to somebody else. I just can't. But I'm glad to share it with you and everyone that's listening. Absolutely. If we're going to do an impromptu order up of these uh, successes, I got to put the Pacers in third on that because I don't know about Damian Lillard. Is he going to be on this team? Chunky Phillips may not be coaching a superstar player. He might be coaching CJ McCollum, Enos Cantor. Rumor has it the Knicks are preparing an offer, so he might be. You might have Kevin Knox, you might have Frank Nelikina, you might have RJ Barrett, you might have Obi Toppin, you might have other things going on. Kevin Knox is still alive? Apparently, you know, uh, he just kind of like showed up one day, he's like, hey guys, you remember me? But um, yeah, until that gets settled, I can't with any degree of certainty say they're going to be successful. That boils now to coin flip. You have Carlisle's old team or Carlisle's new team, which was a Zolt team. Neither here nor there. I gotta go with the Pacers, because they're a veteran team. Carlisle's 12 veterans, Sabonis, Lavert, they have talent on this. They're playing in the Eastern Conference, and that is going to be a big a big boon for them. The Mavericks are going to be good. 
just for the simple fact that Jason Kidd knows how to coach point guards and Luka Doncic is a freak of nature. They need to figure out what they're doing with Kristaps Porzingis. Maybe you send him to the Warriors or maybe James Wiseman. Who knows? But you fix everything around Luka. You have Jason Kidd there mentoring Luka. I could see them being successful. I have the Pacers just a little bit higher because of where they play. Yeah, it's funny. We kind of, uh, it is an impromptu order up, and we kind of went the same route on this. I think all I think all three teams are talented. Okay, they're talented in different ways. Without uh, the Blazers might they might be the most talented team on paper, but as you said, there are parts that are that could possibly be moving. And they're located in the West, and it's just so hard in the West. And Chauncey Billups is a first-year coach, a first-year head coach. I just I don't know what to make of that situation. Like they they weren't winning uh, before he got there. I just I can't see him coming in and all of a sudden being this guru that gets them past teams like the Lakers, the Suns, and the Clippers. Um, the Mavs might have the most talented player with Doncic, but there are gaps in their roster that need to be filled, and they just got rid of their longest tenured front office guy. Uh, so I'm I'm not and, and Carlisle just left, so I'm not sure Jason Kidd has the ability to get more out of Doncic, and I'm not even sure if Doncic is even going to stay now, especially when he sees how good Trey Young is doing with the Hawks, and he's like, well, wait a minute, like how come I wasn't surrounded by as much talent as Trey Young was? If you're if you're Doncic, you've got to be questioning your future with this organization. I mean, as good as Dirk and Nash were, they only won one championship, and Nash wasn't even there for it. So is that who you want to be? You want to be Dirk, and we're at the end of your career, or towards the end of the career, you get one, and then you're out? Uh, You know, you just, he's got to really think about this. And granted, they can sign him to a Supermax, and he can make all the money from them, but is that really the most important thing? Uh, That I don't know. So yeah, me, uh, me personally, I do think it's the Pacers. I think Rick Carlisle and the Pacers will have great success next year in the East. They, they have, they have talent. Rick knows how to coach. The Sabonis is young. Turner is young. McDermott's young. They have the emerging star in Levert. They have Malcolm Brogdon. They, they, you're telling me that if the if the Knicks can finish as a four seed, why can't the Pacers finish as a four seed? Especially if they draft well and they're able to pick up some nice free agents, some nice pieces. So yeah, I'm sticking with the Pacers. Oh, absolutely. And it really goes to show you how to be a first-year head coach. There were significant, there were significant aspirations for the Indiana Pacers, and Nate Bjorkman just could not control the room, considering the fact that. And he had been under him, and he had he had coaching experience in the G League, but it's a difficult job. And I hope Chauncey Bills realizes what he's gotten himself into. And he definitely needs to surround himself with quality assistants, whether that's coaching Mike D'Antoni from the Nets, or possibly, you know, uh, Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd Pierce is available. He might not be. He might be fine as a top assistant rather than 
you know, as the head guy. And, and guys are like that all the time. Look at the NFL. There's always coordinators that can't be head coaches. They're fantastic at what they do. Um, David Fisdale's off the board. He just got hired by the Lakers to replace Jason Kidd. So I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of, of guys that Chauncey Billups can reach out to and just kind of bring on as a mentor slash lieutenant. The Lillard thing really bothers me because are the Knicks really going to repeat rookie history? You had a young core, and you pissed it away. You have a young core. Are you going to piss it away again? You can't help but smile when you see a balloon. The simplest occasion is a party. Westchester Popstars, located in New Rochelle, New York, offers balloon styling and decor for all life's events. Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, showers, school and corporate events, store openings, or just because. Westchester Popstars takes balloons and shapes them into works of art, creating decorative installations for your special occasions. No event is too big or too small, and their custom personalization service is top notch. Westchester Popstars is a private studio, quickly expanding. In-person consultation is by appointment only. Send an email to westchesterpopstars at gmail.com for more information or to schedule an appointment. No need to hire an event stylist. All you need is balloons. Currently servicing Westchester, Putnam, New York City, and Connecticut. To find Westchester Popstars, search for them on Instagram, Facebook, or Google. Speaking of young core, the Warriors don't have that. The Warriors are pretty much a ready-to-win team right now. They added James Wiseman in the draft last year, hoping to kind of augment how they play, especially since Clay Thompson was uh, out for the season and Steph Curry was returning from injury. According to reports, the Warriors are shocked in Wiseman. So what's his value? And who can help the Warriors get back to where they want to be, which is the NBA champion? Yeah, I think what happened with the Warriors is like, okay, we're going to draft teams Wiseman. We're not going to have Clay this year. So we're going to come. We're going to become an inside-outside team, right? We're going to shoot, but we're going to be able to get rebounds and we're going to be able to dunk, you know, dunk the basketball, play inside. And James Wiseman just really couldn't keep up. And I don't even think he really got along with the staff or he got along with the players in the team. So they're trying to find suitors for him. What's he worth? I mean, you got to figure he's at least worth, uh, he's got to be worth a first round and an average player or a second round and a star, right? So the first person I think of is Gordon Hayward, right? Like if if you're Charlotte, right? You're like cheap. You know, we have a point guard, Melo. We have a chance to get a top five player. He's not working out in the Warriors system, but how many people could actually really work out in the Warriors system? We bring him down here. He's a big guy. He can play two-man ball with LaMelo. He should be able to. We can teach him our brand of basketball, and he can be successful down here. It's it's a California thing. He's a Southern kid. He'll do better here, right? That's the first thing I thought. Um, it, it'll give the Warriors the three that they need right now. They need that. They need the, the three. 
right? Uh, now, the other team I thought of, and you're going to laugh, but I thought about the rotting carcass of Kevin Love. And the reason the reason being is, is you know, Cavs probably would love to dump that salary, right? Yeah. And you dump that salary, and I don't even know if the Warriors can really pick it up, but you get not only you get a first round player in it, right? And I I would think you would ask you'd ask for something else from the Warriors in return. And now you don't have to worry. You don't have Kevin Love, but you got a young star. You got dra- you got draft picks. You're okay. And now if you're the Warriors, now you have a 5-4, right? So now you can play Draymond and Kevin Love. You're going back to that really that small lineup where you're a niche at. And now four of your five starters could really hit the three with confidence. Now Draymond takes threes, but he he doesn't make them. Kevin Love will take threes and hit them with confidence. Plus, Kevin Love can get rebounds. Kevin Love can score inside. He's had some health issues, but uh, I I would take I would take a flyer on Kevin Love. And then the last but not least is, you know, you could you could possibly get some draft picks from Sam Presti. He's got a ton of them. He might be interested in Wiseman as a product, as a project, because if we think about what he did with Westbrook and Harden and Sergi Baca and Kendrick Perkins, he has ability to develop players. So this might be an opportunity for him to pick up a first rounder for another first rounder and a second rounder, possibly. All good ideas, for sure. Um, I stand by what I originally said about the Porzingis trade. You know, you definitely... Porzingis, when his head is on right, is one of the most intriguing players in the league. The problem is his head is literally on right. I just don't know if he could run with them, though. He, like, he was so... Not like you talk about Batman and Robin. Like yeah. he wasn't, he couldn't even be Robin in the Mav system. Like he, he's like Alfred, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you figure like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely, he's definitely got the skill though. If you can get the coaching and get the mind around him, and I think Steve Kerr could possibly do it. He's definitely more of a collaborative coach. He's more of a player's coach. Rick Carlisle seems a little bit more like a disciplinarian type. Very much, you know, my way or the highway. And I could see where that could rub Christoph Porzingis the wrong way, especially since he did rub the fuck he wanted with the Knicks. So I could definitely see in the right scenario that it could work. Um, another place where Wiseman could possibly go, Brooklyn is always a possibility. They definitely, I mean, Who's in their front court? Who's, it, who's in the front court? DeAndre Jordan? The rotting of Lake Griffin that was revitalized? You know, that's the one thing that makes, makes sense about Kevin Love is that we've seen this happen with Lake Griffin. Leaving a shit situation for a good situation suddenly revitalizes the guy. So I can see where Cleveland makes a lot of sense. Um, honestly, even the Knicks. The Knicks can use a big... You know, Mitchell Robinson did not fit the bit in Thibodeau's system. So, again, he can handle tough coaching. It'd be worth a flyer for the Knicks. Maybe you send Mitchell Robinson in a first, or maybe Mitchell Robinson another player in a second. It's worth exploring. All 
Are you in need of air care maintenance or service? I have the company for you. Air Care Technicians. They service the Westchester and Northern Bronx area and can help you with all your heating and cooling maintenance and service needs. Just give them a call at 914-315-1547. Again, that's 914-315-1547. Or shoot them an email at aircaretechnicians at gmail.com. These guys are the real deal as they are veteran-owned, licensed, and insured. Make sure to tell them that DNZ sent you. Bullshit or no shit? We're going to debunk this week's most controversial sports topics right now. All right, boys and girls, you know the rules. If we agree with the, the statement, it is no shit. If we disagree with the statement, it is bullshit. Bullshit or no shit. Number one, P can carry his team to the finals despite being down 3-2. Gosh, if this isn't bullshit, I don't know. This is this is just such bullshit. Everyone seems to be praising Paul. Playoff. Everyone seems to be praising Playoff P for his amazing Game 5 performance. But they must have forgotten his Game 4 performance, where he was 0 for 7 on game tying or go-ahead field goals in the final 7 minutes of the game. And he, um, that's not even including his 1 for 2 from the free throw line. I want I, I won't even bring up his playoff performance in Game 7 from last year because I don't even have to. So I'm going bullshit on this, big time. Absolute bullshit. I mean, I, we probably should have canned this one because we were both going to agree that it's bullshit. But all just- no, but there are some people that were like praising him for really being a star player because of the way he played in the last game. They must have such a short-term memory. They have a shorter-term memory than Brett Favre on this. Like, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> well, we are all prisoners of the moment. Recency bias is very big, especially in sports, in sports talk and sports analysis. Donovan Mitchell is the greatest Utah Jazz player that's ever played. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> Where's he? The golf course. I should think he was at City Field. But, yeah, it's so bullshit. You cannot... You can't take one game and erase everything else that he has done in his career. You just can't do that. It happens. He needs to exercise these demons. That's the only way he's able to go up to playoff team. Which, as we all know, is a self-given nickname. And if you give yourself a nickname, like, come on, that's as low rent as you can get. So he's got to do it again. Right now, they're playing as we speak. Who knows what's going to happen, but he can't be Batman. He's got to be Robin or he's got to be some other member. He's got to be Aquaman. He's got to be another member of the Justice League. He's going to be a Wonder Twin. There we go. Plastic Man. Certainly not playoff pick. Bullshit or no shit. Number two. Chris Middleton to Batman as Giannis is to Robin. No shit on this. I mean, come on. 
Mil- Middleton's coming out of a career high 38 points in game three, where he nailed the coffin shut with three threes down the stretch. In the f- and in the fourth quarter, and he had 20 and he had 20 points in the third in the third. Like he was, he's the sole reason why they took a lead in the series. Now Giannis is hurt. We don't even know if he's going to come back. Uh, the Bucks lost in Game Four. Uh, they might be without Giannis in Game Six, but we're going to find out if Middleton is really Batman or if he's really the Dark Knight. Probably a bad analogy when you think of Matt Harvey, but we're going to find out more about Middleton in the next couple of days. Well, no, find out if he's Batman or if he's Matt Harvey. Like, if that <laughs> makes sense. There you go. There you go. And we love Matt Harvey on the show. Friend of the show. Well, friend of me. You know. But this is going to be a litmus test for the entire team because Trey Young is out. Giannis is out. We're going to see what these other players are made of. So, John Collins, I'm looking at you in Atlanta. Kevin Herter, I'm looking at you. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go bullshit on this. I think he's a very good player. He's much better in an ensemble cast. I think it's going to be Drew Holiday's time to shine. He's the one who's going to have to facilitate this and really get everybody on on pace and really take over the game. Because we know that Coach Budenholzer is not the best when it comes to tactics. So Holiday's going to have to take it over. Coach can score. That is not. I'm not disputing that. But in order for the Bucks to win, they're going to have to have somebody else show up, and that's got to be Drew Holiday. So he's got to play better than he played in the, in the series against Brooklyn. But I oh, do. Yeah. I, I like. I like Drew Holiday a lot, and I thought he was a great signing for the Bucks. And I thought, you know, during the season he was good, and I really thought he was going to play better during the season. I don't know if he's hurt or what, but he's definitely more talented than the way he's been playing. No, absolutely. And uh, as far as choosing the name check, uh, Trey Young, like, what do you foresee? Who has to step up for the Hawks now that he can't play to that bone bird? Um, I, you know, it's surprising, but the person I really want to see step up is Clint Capella. Uh, I think, uh, I think he has the chance to make a name for himself. Brooke Lopez has kind of been absent, which is kind of weird because I think Brooke Lopez is such a good player. Uh, I think I think Clint Capella has a chance to be the be the guy to get double doubles and to get rebounds and keep the offense going when the Hawks miss shots. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Bogdanovich. I really thought you were going to say Bogdanovich, but. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, definitely got to step up. Collins, they're outside shooters. They're definitely gonna have to. They're gonna have to change the way they play because Trey Young's not gonna be there dribbling, initiating contact. So, this two is gonna more, be two, two more stars go down for the NBA. Another more more injuries, more injuries. Silver, you're starting to look like Rob Manfred. Not a good look, bro. Not a good look. Bullshit or no shit? Number three. Tom Brady was referencing Derek Carr during his interview with HBO's The Shop. Oh, man, how great is this? They asked him questions about his free agency, and he, and he kind of, you know, told them how, you know, there was a team that was interested in the beginning, and then towards the end, they weren't industri- interested anymore. And he was like, really? Really? You're going to stick with that motherfucker? And that, and that was the candid 
you know, Tom Brady, this, this is the guy that's, you know, not not speaking to reporters, just kind of being honest about his feelings about the situation. And I, as soon as I saw this, like, I, I messaged you. I was like, man, he's got to be talking about Derek Carr. It makes so much sense that he's talking about Derek Carr. So I'm going to go no shit on this. Because uh, it just, you take into the specifics of the situation, like a team interested in the beginning. Okay, we know the Raiders were interested. We know the Broncos were interested. We knew the Bucks were interested. Okay. And then it's like at the very, very end, they backed out. It's just like, gee, why would someone back out at the end? And I doubt he's going to, uh, the only person he's going to call a motherfucker would be Derek Carr, right? He's not going to call Drew Locke a motherfucker because we all know that already, right? We know he's like, whatever. Uh, he, you know, someone was trying to talk me into it being Jimmy G. And I'm like, he's not going to call Jimmy G no. that. I mean, they played together. He, he, Jimmy G won Super Bowls with Tom. He got to the he got to the Super Bowl without Tom. I can't imagine him referencing Jimmy G in this situation. So I'm thinking it's Derek Carr, 100. percent Let's just take a step back and appreciate how saucy Tom Brady's getting in his old age. Like he's going through the midlife crisis right now. Like throwing the Lombardi Trophy from one banana boat to the other, partaking too much avocado tequila. It's just, you know, Tom Brady's living that floor of the life, baby. It's just, it is awesome. It is great to see. I'm going bullshit on this one. The simple fact that I have two names that immediately popped in my head, and I shared one with you. I haven't shared the other one with you. The first one was Jared Goff. Like, come on. Like, we've, <laughs> seen, we've seen that relationship just go down, down downhill to the point where he's now a Detroit Lion and the rotting corpse of Matthew Stafford in his full body cast is about to take over that team. So I could totally scenario where Jared Goff got held off and he saw Tom Brady. Imagine that. Brady to Woods. Brady to Cup. That's that is fantastic. Sean McVay's offense, Aaron Donald on defense. The only thing is, the only reason why I would, I agree with you, it's definitely possible. The only thing that would stray me away from it is because Jared Goff actually did get to the Super Bowl, though. Like, he, he does have something to hang his hat on. Like, he, it may, they may not have gotten there because of him, but he did get there. But I could totally see Brady saying it. Because I know, I, well, not that I know, I think Tom really wanted to go back to California in some uh, way. There's only one other thing that I could think of that would qualify as a motherfucker. And we know they were interested. And it was solely contingent upon said motherfucker. Drew Brees, baby. <laughs> Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. We knew they were in. They were in on Tom Brady. And then Brees decided, guys, I'm coming back. Wouldn't you call somebody a motherfucker at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could definitely see that because because it's like, really? You're going to stick with him? Like, what did he do for you? He hasn't done anything in 10 years. Like, and I then totally... he's James Winston? What? <laughs> right, right. No. And, then, and that was my, and that's what I suspected all along. When we talked about it during, you know, last year, I really thought that he was going to the Saints until Drew Brees decided he was going to come back. I really believe that. It makes all the sense in the world. And again, 
we talked about it, that team would have been pretty unstoppable with Tom Brady. And somebody tried to say that it wasn't so much that, well, of course it was because Drew Brees was coming back, but they weren't so sure how much Sean Payton wanted Tom Brady for more than one year. Mm. And I don't, I don't know. Who would you say, uh, you know, who would you say has the biggest regret of not signing Tom last year? Is it the New Orleans Saints? It has to be, right? It's got to be the New Orleans Saints. Just from the fact that they had an opportunity to replace Drew Brees, and now they're living with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Just you got to look at the end result. It's just, it, it doesn't look good at all. Mike Mike Tannenbaum made a good observation on on ESPN. He said that he thought the 49ers missed out on the biggest because they could have traded Jimmy G, signed Tom. They probably would have still went to the Super Bowl with that defense, essentially, you know, thinking people don't get hurt. I mean, people got hurt and that happens. But they were still in it all the way until the pretty much the last three weeks of the season. But you look at all the talent they had at wide receiver. They had decent running backs. They had Kyle Shanahan. And then you still draft Trey Lance, right? And now you got Tom, and you still have Trey Lance. You lose nothing by signing Tom Brady. And you uh, might it's a good move. It definitely is a good move. And, you know, then you don't get shadowed with the Nick Mullinses and the CJ Beathards when all the shit goes down. That's for sure. Um, honestly, Miami Dolphins. How do you not? Yeah. How do you not? Just like one year, two years, coach flow already knows Brady. Two years, sit on the bench to a 50. It's been real. You can go play for the Patriots. Like you can fulfill, you can punch the uh, AFC East card. But working uh, on that. Uh, that, that would have been, any of these scenarios would have been good. Ultimately, he ends up where he needed to be, and he's hoisting another Lombardi trophy. I'm getting hungry over here. Should have cooked up some dinner. And if you're looking for a new cooking show to binge, check out As You Eat It on YouTube, hosted by me, Chef Z. I invite you into my home and show you what and how I cook when I'm off the clock as a chef instructor. You're going to learn fun recipes and creative methods to empower and inspire you in the kitchen and take it to the next level. Cook how you want to cook. Eat how you want to eat. Eat as you eat it. That's as you eat it. Available only on YouTube. AZ, you eat it. Check it out and let's get cooking. Order up. All right, boys and girls, you know what time it is. From 5 to 1, it is time to order up. Order up, order up. This week's topic, we are ordering up the best NFL head coach quarterback duo. From 5 to 1, who you got? All right, so my my fifth is a little awkward, but I'm going to go with Derek Carr and John Gruden, solely because I think at this point Derek Carr only exists because of John Gruden. I really can't see Derek Carr really playing on any other team in the NFL. I think John Gruden is the only coach that values Derek Carr as much as he does, especially if he chose Derek Carr over Tom Brady. And for this reason, they're number five to me. 
Number four is Sean McVay and Matt Stafford. I'm hearing really good things out of L.A. We'll see if it comes to fruition, but I'm I'm having a sense that this pairing is going to put up some numbers. We're going to figure out how good Sean McVay really is. Uh, number three is an awkward one, but I think they belong here. It's Russ Wilson and Pete Carroll. Two Super Bowls together, one win. Pete dismantled the Legion of Boom for us. He got rid of Percy Harvin for us. He got rid of Golden Tate for us. So these two are formidable early in the season, but the luster comes off as the weeks go on. Uh, number two is Tom Brady and Bruce Arians slash Tom Moore. A lot of people don't realize that Tom Moore is on that Bucks coaching staff. And he was responsible for all of Peyton Manning's success in Indianapolis. Their first year, Tom's first year in Tampa with uh, Bruce Arians and Tom Moore. Uh, they don't really know the offense really well. They don't even know each other really well. They still get to the Super Bowl. And they win the Super Bowl. Very, very impressive. And number one, probably your number one too, is Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. Mahomes definitely brings the best out of Andy's offense. I don't think anyone could really run it as well as Pat does. Uh, and they are definitely the keys to each other's success. How do you stack it? Well, there's definitely going to be some overlap. There, there's only, you know, there are only so many great coaching combinations now. Great quarterback coaching combinations. For my criteria, I'm also, again, just like I did last time, I'm omitting the new pairings just because we don't know yet. So there's not going to be a Goff and Campbell. not going to be a McVay and Stafford on my list. So call me traditional, call me vanilla, whatever. It's my fucking list. I can do what I want. Number five, just based on sheer track record and longevity, Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger. Guys, come and go. Those two are what make this go in Pittsburgh. Number four, Sean McDermott and Josh. It really, it took some chutzpah to go with Josh Allen at a Wyoming, unproven commodity, and say, this is our guy. And Josh Allen rewarding Sean McDermott with with that trust, with his play. Number three, I got it, and this is going to be, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Matt LaFleur drives Aaron Rodgers off the fucking wall, but that is what drives a man, a sick man like Aaron Rodgers, a man so sick in the head that he needs perceived slight or any kind of mental edge to get to that next level where guys like Brady regularly live. Rodgers needs that hate to get there and his head coach regularly provides it. Number two, you can't argue with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. The proof is in the pudding, and that pudding is a Lombardi trophy. Was it rocky in the beginning? Sure. But once they got on the same page, you can't argue with the success. And number one, this is the most anticlimactic thing ever. 
Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid. How could you argue with that? Patrick Mahomes takes Andy Reid to the next level and vice versa. They're extensions of each other to where it's a seamless relationship. And they've already been rewarded with a Super Bowl. And Mahomes has been key. Honorable mention to this list, John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson. But very, very close to number four. So what do you think, guys? What's your five to one? Hit us up. Fade podcast on IG. Fade route mail at gmail.com. Or slide in our Twitter DMs at fade route DMD. Get us and share your list. This has been the Fade Route with DNZ. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You catch our podcast Wednesday nights on the Anchor, Spotify, or other outlets where you listen to your podcast. Until next time, stay faded, everyone. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Turn on subscription notifications and tell your friends. Spread the word. Spread it wide.